Welcome to The Passion Pod, a podcast by The Collective, powered by Disciple. In this show, we interview Disciple customers and community enthusiasts from all industries as we discuss building and scaling communities. Tune in to learn all about the creator economy, how you can create your own private community, and so much more. I'm Nicolette, Head of Community and Brand, and today we have Disciple CEO and founder Benji Vaughan talking to Erica Cole, CEO and founder at Erica Cole Consulting. Let's get to it. Welcome, everyone. I'm really, really excited because I'm here today with Erica Cool. She's a legend in the world of community. <laughs> Years of building what is one of the great communities of the world, the Salesforce community, the Trailblazers community. We're so proud to have her here on the Passion Pod. How are you doing today, Erica? I'm so good. I'm honored to be here chatting with you. Thank you very, very much for joining us today. Let's get straight into it. Our audience would love to know a bit about you. Tell us a bit about yourself, your passions, and some of those lockdown COVID hobbies that have emerged, maybe. Okay, yeah. So I live in Boulder, Colorado, and probably already just by hearing that, you know a bit about my passions, which is mm-hmm. definitely the outdoor. Why is a transplant from the Bay Area where it became difficult to do my passions, which are mainly I'm a, I'm a huge skier. Little known fact is that I, this is my third time moving to Colorado. My second time moving here was to be a ski instructor, which I was fortunate enough to do in Aspen, Colorado. So certainly love skiing. I love everything about the outdoors. My newest passion that blossomed from COVID is tennis. I grew up a tennis player, but took a huge break from it. And tennis is one of those COVID sports you could do because it's very distanced. It's naturally social distanced. So I have just new love of tennis and now I can't get enough of it. I want to play all the time. It brings me huge joy. That's so great. Are you watching the skies carefully for the first snow of the season? Yeah, well, Colorado is so weird. And you you said that you've been to Colorado many times and the weather is very finicky and fickle. Yeah. I looked at my one year ago today and it was snowing. It had already snowed multiple times. Labor Day, it snowed. And now it's the first kind of cool day, but we have 80s coming. And so I don't know when the first snow is coming, but <laughs> the way Colorado is, is tomorrow it could snow. It could be 85 and it could snow that same day. I'm hoping it comes soon. I love the early October skiing. It's super fun. So we'll see. Great. And so tell yeah. me, what encouraged you to kick off your podcast with Brian Oblinger? Well, so he wrote me into that, quite honestly. I wasn't super convinced that this was something that I wanted to do. You've been doing podcasts. It's a new medium for me. I've been on plenty of them, but I sat down with him and we talked about something different, doing something different for the industry of community. One of the main reasons why I left Salesforce and started on my own was, of course, to do something different. Mainly, it was to push this industry forward. I felt like we weren't far enough along. I couldn't believe that more people didn't have trailblazer communities. (laughs) I was, and it, it turns out it's hard. And so I thought, what can I do as someone that's a veteran in this field and and just a dinosaur that started out doing this from gut? How can I turn this into strategies that can be repeated and used? And that was through a podcast. I thought, let's do something different because I don't want to just do the same old podcast. I want to do something different. So we decided to do long form, just topic based, get on, have an outline on a very particular topic and just brain dump as much as we can. And then our differentiator was that 
and that we were going to put all the resources we talk about, all the templates. So we, both of us feel like we together need to push this industry fast and hard right now because it's becoming so hot. So that's what we did. We wanted to just long form dump all the brain stuff out of our heads and then attach any template and anything we talk about so people can try to do this a little bit more strategically. So that was what we did. And it's not for everybody. It's one of those podcasts, you put it in your ear and you take a walk. Mm -hmm. Uh, You walk your dog, you do your laundry, you can revisit it and come back to it because it, it goes deep on topics for sure. It's no, we didn't want to be constrained by a time. We didn't want to talk about something super important, like building a community strategy in 30 minutes. If it takes us an hour, it takes us an hour. And I bet um, with those kind of deep dives into a subject you're really passionate about, you've probably learned a lot yourself, right? Absolutely. And I learned a lot from Brian. That's the cool thing about the two of us is that we have very different personalities, first of all. And also we have very different types of ways we attack the same kind of problem. And it brings a lot of really richness, I think, to the topic. So for instance, a lot of what I did, just based on what I just described, was a lot of gut feel. And, you know, mm-hmm. I was doing this before it was a thing. And I learned along the way, made a ton of mistakes. But a lot of it was just, I didn't have an Erica or a Brian or anybody to guide me. And so I do a lot of things based on that. And then I built strategy around it, brought process around it, and then scaled it. Brian is, he has a lot of rigor to what he does. He's very systematic and process-driven and data-driven. And the two of us make a good match that way because we lighten it up and then he adds rigor to my life. And so when I listen to him, I'm like, whoa, I didn't even think about that. Or gosh, I wish I would have done it that way. Or we had a recent one on localization and Quite honestly, I don't have a lot of experience with localization. We did not localize or globalize the Trailblazer community in the way that he's done it. So I learned a lot from him. I just, yeah, so it's fun. And we all have to keep learning. I mean, I'm a lifelong learner. So I think there's so much to learn still. You just mentioned that you're both kind of polar opposites in terms of. (laughs) Have you noticed particular traits of people who naturally are good at nurturing and building communities Mm -hmm. in the time? For sure. I mean, we we're, I suppose I don't want to totally say we're polar opposite. We share so much of the same focus, but just maybe sometimes how we attack a problem. I don't want them to be like, oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But I think there is a commonality that you have to have. And I'd say if I had to think about the one thing that every single person in this field has to have is empathy. They have to lead with empathy and lead with gratitude. If you don't lead with gratitude or empathy, then this is just not your field. This is one of the things that you have to be. I always say I'm entering, when I build a community, I'm entering their house. It's their house and I'm a visitor and I need to make it as, you know, treat it with respect that way. And that's something that I think if you are in it for yourself or you're in it for just your company or your brand, it's not going to work out. You have to be in it for the customer, truly, not live service style, but like truly. So I find that I find people that are really good listeners and can then pick out the pieces that need to be escalated and created process around are the ones that can dig in, not somebody that flies off the handle very easily, someone with a thick skin. (laughs) You know, these are characteristics I think every community builder has to have in some capacity. I love that idea you just said of um, having the attitude of you as the community host being Mm -hmm. a guest in the house of your community members. Mm -hmm. Great looking at it. So it's 
not a proprietal relationship. You're no. you're helping them build something and you're in their domain. You're in the customer yeah. domain when you're in the community. I had to use that a lot when I was teaching people at Salesforce, the employees, how to really get the most out of the community because it was a new muscle for them. So I would always say, you know, you wouldn't just storm into someone's house and pull open the fridge and start taking things out. You would let them welcome you in, let them help you get acclimated, and then you would work from there. So it just, that's the way I would help people understand the way I like to have them leverage the community. Wait, wait for them to come to you so that you can build that trusted relationship, and then you can start working together more of a partnership. That's so great. So what, tell me a little bit about how did it all start for you? What was the work you were doing before you realized that community was what really drove you and inspired you? And then tell me how you then went from working within communities like the Salesforce community and then moving to setting yeah. up your own consulting business. Well, I don't want to go back too far and bore people. I'll start at Salesforce because I spent a couple decades there nearly. So let's just start there because many people just only think of me synonymous with community there. And what I was hired there to do was actually set up create, write, and travel the admin workshop program, which was the core user at the time. And that was what I was doing before. It's technical instructor, basically. It was what I was hired to do. Mm-hmm. And when I was writing and teaching hundreds of students, I watched this magic happen in the classroom. I watched because this you have to flash back to this is when Salesforce was not a household name. This was something basically that that person woke up one day and they were like, you're going to go learn how to use this thing called Salesforce. So go out to San Francisco and go learn how to use it and come back and implement it for us. And then they met me. That's I was their teacher. So this was a different era. And so what happened in the classroom is they, of course, just like anything, they shared ideas with each other, regardless of their title, regardless of their industry. And it was imperative because they were doing something so new and so different. And I was learning along with them and doing so much interaction. And then they would leave and go back to their you know, respective homes or companies. And then they didn't have anything. And all of that knowledge and all of that connection just went out the door. Now, I know that this doesn't sound radical now, but then it was kind of radical. And, you know, you have a similar story with what, what you needed. And so I thought, well, gosh, you know, selfishly, I want to keep connected with these people that I've spent all this time. I have more and have all the answers. So I needed to reach back out to them with questions or I needed to connect up with someone else that had the answer. And then they also wanted to keep connecting too, to try to have be on this exciting journey together. And so that's what I did. But it took me about four years to cash in on that idea because Mm -hmm. it just wasn't a thing. I didn't, it wasn't called community. I think maybe I called it a portal. I don't know. What did we call it back then? A hub? I mean, it's weird to think about. It's really interesting hearing you talk about going from a position of education to a position of Mm -hmm. a community. Yeah. Because we see that so much with the people Mm -hmm. we work with, where their community building starts with a domain expertise. They want to share that domain expertise with other people, and they do it often through a relationship with an audience first. Definitely. Realizing there's something missing here. Why is it? Oh, it's because the natural part of people learning is connecting with each other, building communities. And you can't really have a truly transformative educational experience if it's just a sort of teacher audience relationship. It needs to turn into community. So it's that's it's amazing hearing that's been when you went through. Yeah. And that wasn't 
necessarily deliberate even, but it only happened because that's the way my trajectory was. But now it makes total sense. And I, I really just wanted it to be a place where they can continue answering each other's questions. That was it. But then realized fast forward, which ironically, through all the many years I was there, I then was reorged into the training organization, which was called Trailhead. Very different training organization, incredible training organization where you have democratized learning now, free education to skill up. And this passionate, insanely connected group of individuals, which can mentor one another. And then it turns into life changing. You now have individuals that I never could have thought this was going to happen, but you have individuals that are downright have awful situations in their life that happen where they lose their job, their factory workers or a hairdresser with a wrecked arm that can no longer do their trade that they've been trained. They turn to somehow they get connected with Salesforce, which you wouldn't think they get skilled up for free using this incredible learning platform that's fun to use. And then they meet their local community where people are just hungry to mentor and train them. And then they literally change their life and get jobs that they never in a million years thought they could have, where they're making triple their salary and they can buy their first home and they can, you know, so this is like incredible traction and emotional connection that created the trailblazer movement. That's how it really like, you know, it starts from in a classroom and then all of a sudden this is life changing, emotional. It's far more than a piece of software. Wow. And um, when you wanted to move from that educational relationship Mm -hmm. with with prospects or customers to a more community style relationship and you Mm -hmm. went to the Salesforce team and said, I think we should start a community. Did you, what what was the immediate response? Yeah, they laughed at me. (laughs) Literally. And I I still keep in touch on and off. I did for years with the individual that did laugh at me and tell me that I was crazy. And he has since, you know, not really apologized, but definitely said you did something good there. But he definitely did not see it. He definitely did not grok the idea that I was trying to lay out and only just decided to do it because I had been a pretty high performer at the company for, you know, at that time, a lot of years, which was a whopping four, but it was a baby company. We're talking at this point, there's maybe, I don't know, a couple thousand people at the company, maybe at the time. And so he said, well, give it a roll. But he was like a side hustle, basically. And he said, well, I don't know. He was very in a box, needed to like give me a title and a name. And I was in marketing at the time I'd moved into marketing. And he said, well, what am I going to do with you? You know, what am I going to call you? What is this? And I tried to explain it. You know, I had PowerPoint presentations with bullet points and because he's very diligent. And he was like, well, it sounds like a web producer. Sounds like you're a website, right? I was like, no, 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 it's not a website. It's it's like a place where people are going to connect and they're going to share ideas and innovate with each other. And he's like, well, it's a website. And so he gave me this website, which was laying fairly dormant called success.salesforce.com. And it was where we hosted just presentations from our user conference, just flat content. And he was like, well, you can see what you can do with this. And then he literally gave me the title web producer, which I thought was hilarious because that was not my vision. But I was like, whatever you need to do. Um, So that was it. So he sat me there and gave me that website. And that was the website. That was the impetus of where it all became. It stayed success.salesforce.com for many years until we made that trailblazer movement uh, relaunch many years later. So that was it. It was a hustle. It was truly entrepreneurial, truly blood, sweat and tears and just dedication to my vision. 
nobody was supporting it. Truly. It was like, just like you, I'm sure with a lot of your customers still today, it's still a hustle. It's still, it's still a, a hustle. Absolutely. It's still a hustle. And so my job now is like, how can I make this not such a hustle? How can I skip over all that? Cause I did finally break through clearly yeah. it worked, but it took me too long because I didn't know what I know now. Yeah, and how so, long did it take, do you think, from you initially approaching about ugh, the community up to feeling like you had the wins, they were behind The Salesforce you. wins. Was yeah, because the, the community yeah. was there. I mean, yeah. day one, they got it. They were like, and they were incredible. Honestly, they kept saying, keep figuring this out, Erica. Like, we, we love this. We don't understand why they don't yet. But like, keep doing this. So I couldn't quit. I wanted to a thousand times, but they, I couldn't because they were like, no, no, please just keep moving this forward. So often in the communities we're building, we're hosts like, this is so difficult. This is really hard. I don't feel like I'm getting there, but the community loves it. I've got to keep doing, doing this for them. That's right. So if I'm being honest with myself, probably a good solid five years. I look back at those years and I'm glad that it happened for a reason. But what happened was the transformation for me were a couple things. Number one, I was at the time in an organization that was never going to work. And I say ironic because now it's where I'm seeing a lot of communities grow up and live, which is marketing. But at the time, it was very demand gen, very specific. My goals did not match. There was the concept of customer marketing was very nascent or non-existent if ever I was going to live in that group. So I just, I wasn't fitting. And I realized that's not their fault. That's my fault. I need to figure out if this is going to live, I have to align myself with someone whose goals match my goals. Otherwise, I'm just going to fight constantly or it's going to turn my community into a demand gen. And I don't want that. Indirectly, you know, I eventually proved that there's correlation to generating money, but that wasn't what I wanted my primary goal to be. So I dug my way out of marketing and I moved myself into product. Now, it's a weird place to be, but uh, to maybe have a community live, but for Salesforce, it created this authenticity. The product organization were like heroes. They were like, every one of our community managers loved the product manager. They loved our leader, Parker Harris at the time. And that showed them that I was going to have a seat at the table That if I was out of marketing, which was very marketing at the time, wonderful, brilliant marketers. But if I could sit at the table and impact the product in whatever way they wanted, which was like extending it, customizing it, selling it, whatever the customer wanted, they were like, whoa, you're sitting at the table with the product team. That was when it hockey sticked and just went through the roof. And I just needed to get aligned. So for me, that's when things changed. But it took me a while to figure that out. And the second thing that happened is when I moved into the product organization, I was with a leader that was like, we're data-driven here, 100% data-driven. And you got to figure it out. You have to take a step back. You have The community's fine. And you need to prove the correlation between what matters to this organization, which at the time was product adoption. It was also about, still about churn. It was about expanded upsell, cross-sell, you know, more products. And so I did it. I figured it out and worked diligently with our data scientists. I built a narrative around the data and then I presented that data. And that was the next thing. That was the next like, okay, there's no arguing with this unbelievable correlation to this data. And that is when Salesforce got on board. I think for the first time. I mean, of course, there are people that were like my champions early on, but like I wanted it to be part of the business. You know, I wanted it to be bottom line. I wanted them to not have a reason they could possibly say we need to do away with this community. 
It's so interesting hearing you talk about the move from marketing to product. We hear this all so often with community hosts we speak to that they start out life being kind of put into the back office round at the back of the marketing team. Sure. And they've asked to do exactly the same thing. How are you going to help us generate more leads? Yeah. If it's about generating more leads, maybe we should just be doing this on Facebook. Well, that's right. It's a different muscle. But as soon as they move into either the customer success team or the product mm-hmm. team, the whole mm-hmm. attitude changes. And the community mm-hmm. starts to work. Have you come across examples of communities where the community does sit within marketing and it's working great and there's total alignment between marketing and, and community or it, does it never work? No, I definitely have. Well, it happened at Salesforce. I didn't go back to marketing, but my connection with marketing was incredibly tight and they did get it. Now I wasn't sitting in marketing ever again there and maybe someday it will go again. But now that I'm out on my own and I'm working with these organizations, I'm finding it's sitting there, at least in the some of the enterprise spaces or some of the like growth spaces. When I have an innovative CMO, which I talk to all the time, they get it. If ever COVID did something, it really jogged the CMOs with Mm -hmm. trying to figure out, you know, there weren't a lot, this is an overgeneralization. So just take that for what it is. But during COVID, there weren't a lot of new things going into the funnel. It was like things stopped. So what they needed to think about was how do they keep the things they have nurtured and surrounded in that middle of the funnel? And that's what I think the CMOs, when they were innovative, they had that done. They had things wrapped around and community is brilliant for that middle funnel. And so the innovative CMOs were like, oh, let's do this. Let's skyrocket this community initiative and then let's resource it appropriately. Let's, you know, build the content strategy around it and let's get it alignment with the organization. And those are the CMOs that are doing it right. So when I do see community living beautifully in marketing, they have this expanded portfolio or expanded brain that they don't just sign up for what is exactly in the marketing goals. They allow themselves to have that middle funnel goal. And they also allow them to have attrition goals or like churn goals that might sit somewhere else. So they have this fluidity in it and they're innovating the definition of customer marketing. They're adding, they're putting advocacy next to community or they're creating an umbrella of community and putting advocacy and customer programs and super user things underneath that umbrella. There's some killer things happening. And I think COVID just like dialed that to 11. And weirdly, most of the work that I'm doing is in marketing now, which I just scratch my head and think back. I'm like, I can't even believe this. This is the line it's funny to me. We, we see it with the host we work with. The, the uh-huh. line between kind of pre-sale and post-sale are breaking down. Yeah. For customers to you want your existing customers to be reaching yeah. out and touching those prospects. Right. And right. vice versa, you, they shouldn't be separate, which is nope. why um, more and more its community kind of needs to stand alone. It needs to report to the executive of the business and it needs yeah. to sit on its own with marketing, post-sale, pre-sale, all yes. coming into it. I agree with that. And I will see that day. I feel like we're going to see that day. I don't see it a lot. I pitched it a lot, but there's not a lot of people biting that right now. It's a very aggressive vision that they have to work towards. At a minimum, then I say, cool, it can sit here, but it must be a service function. So that's what you get with functions that live at the C level. They have to serve the whole company. You know, they're expected a finance organization can't just serve one part of the business. They have to serve the whole company. HR, you know, these functions have to serve the whole company. And that is what community will be. I think it needs to serve support and product and marketing and customer success. But 
it's aggressive. It's an aggressive vision. I couldn't even get that done at Salesforce. And here we had the most progressive community and they were still not buying what I was selling, you know, but if you can get an innovative enough leader that can allow that to happen, you can still serve that organization, but then sign up for these other service functions. When that happens, it's brilliant. If not, it dies out. It becomes something else. That but I agree with you. My next question, actually. On your yeah. website, you say, and I'm quoting here, the days of traditional selling and service are gone. Mm-hmm. Customers want authentic interactions and they're yeah. driven to connect with like-minded people. This is 100% why I started Disciple and why people want to work Perfect. at Disciple is because we all believe this. And it's kind of quickly just referencing back to why I specifically yeah. started Disciple. It was because I was a musician. I had a record label. We had lots of fans. I kind of figured out, all our fans like our music, but weirdly, they seem to all like a whole load of other stuff. So if we were to create a community, I bet they're not just going to talk about our music. They're going to end up groups around all these other little subcultures they have. And it became so much bigger and more dense, the community, than we ever expected because of these kind of ancillary linkages they all had with each other. So tell me what you mean when you say the traditional selling and service are gone and customers want authentic interactions and they want to connect with like-minded people. How is that the role of a company like Salesforce or a company like to connect people together. That's, Mm -hmm. I think the world still sees that as the job of Facebook. Why is that the job of of SMEs and other companies? I think that, you know, we all know that people want to talk to each other within everything. Like they want, no longer do you just cold call the internet, you know, type in something random when you're looking for a review of something you feel passionate about, you know, with anything from like buying a pair of earphones to picking a doctor to whatever, like anything in between, you first go to your network and you say, what's your trusted group of people and say, you know, what do you like to listen to? What blocks out the word? You know me, you know my environment. What do you like? And then you source through that and you get the best recommendations for everything. And then you buy it, you know, then you naturally buy that and you're very happy because you have these trusted groups. So that's what I think I mean by that is when a brand can wrap itself around and funnel them with success and content and engagement with people that are like them, ultimately, then you will sell more product you know, because you're showing them that there can be wildly successful. You're getting them to talk to each other. And the ones that are not, that's okay. Like they're going to other places and they'll be happy somewhere else. But ultimately you're making them successful first. You're pumping them with all they need to be successful and the people that they should connect with. And they're affecting each other's business. Now, so that's what I'm saying is that this direct megaphone sale, it falls on deaf ears now. They're like, that's gross. So please don't do that. Just put us in touch with the people that are like us. And you have the ability to do that brand because you brand have all of these customers. So just like get them together, get me connected with people like me, and then we'll do that for you. And um, let the customers do the selling. Get out of the way. And you just, what you have is the ability to collaborate all these people together. We don't. We would just be hunting around randomly wondering who is a customer and who is not. So just like you do what you're good at, which is like, listen to us and get us together. And then we will do that on our own. We'll do that authentically on our own. And that is exactly what happened at Salesforce. Like it it just took people that wanted to invest in that and listen and make that happen in a way that felt like it was way balanced with the customer in mind versus Salesforce in mind. And the tricky part is that 
you know, we're a culture of like now, got to have it now, want it now. And businesses need to realize that this is a longer sale. You know, this is a longer process. You get the most amazing output if you put the time in with the community, but you don't get it immediately. You don't get to just dive in and immediately net the beautiful sales that we have now at the Salesforce community. You have to do the work first. So that's the shift I'm having to constantly push people is you don't get it right now. We hear that so much. And it's tough sure. in this world to say to somebody, you got to have patience. Yes, because they don't it's want not, that. Nobody has patience anymore. Especially marketers. Exactly. Yeah. Especially marketers. They want data yeah. results. They want to be able to do it yep. straight away. They're like, run an event, run an event, run an event. I'm like, no, no, no more events or let them run their events. <laughs> like, It doesn't have to take 10 years, but you probably need a year minimum. And there can be small wins along the way that are going to net you value. And they, you know, you can experience value along the way. It's not like you have to wait one year for value. There are no skipping steps. Things can happen shorter these days, like with working with people like me and working with people like you that have done this before, but the steps are still the same. There's nobody that can jump from launching a community to experiencing unbelievable yeah, ROI. When, when we first started Disciple, in the, first, mm-hmm. in the initial kind of two, two years, I guess it was, we were just building communities for big bands. Mm-hmm. So people like Luke mm-hmm. Bryan, who I know is a big deal in the US yeah. and the Rolling Stones and stuff like that. And oh. the mentality in the music industry was let's treat this launch of this community like an album release. We're going to put lots and lots of thinking and money and push into the release of the community. And that would always lead to this huge influx of people. And then there'd be this attitude of, great, done, let's go. And it's like, no, 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 no. If you don't, you're going to lose all of them. You've just told everyone who might be interested, you've done an amazing marketing job. Because of that, you've got 300,000 people have just, literally, it's like you've organized a party and got 300,000 people who don't know each other. Yeah, now they're standing there in the room. They're like, what's "What's going going on? on? Who are these people? They're going to leave immediately. And you will never get them back. You don't get another shot. And trying to say to some uh, band, hey, why don't you just start with 10,000 people? That's a lot. Why don't you start with 200? Yeah. And get them to build relationships and kind yeah, of test some culture. stuff out. Exactly. Yeah. It was a real hard push. Now we're working with small businesses and creators. That mentality is totally different. It's a different it's really world different. now. You know, and it's the same thing with a launching a, a record album is like launching a product. Same mentality. That's the it's same thing. Done. And now, ironically, I don't know about you, but I somewhat try to downplay the launch. Well, first of all, there's always soft launch or mm-hmm. the beta, then the soft launch, then the real launch. And even the like launch, I say go big as much as you want, but actually it's what happens that month after. That's the real. So I'm trying to make the launch a month, basically. And instead of just doing this, like you said, this big push, it's like, okay, that's great. That day is great. But then like, where's the panel that follows up? Where's the AMA that asked me anything that happens? Where's the blog post? Where's the first success story you're going to feature? Like, then down the line, then the press happens down here because the launching of a community is not that sexy to press. It's the success that nets later on that sexy to press. So this whole you know launch mentality from a marketer, they it's brand new to them. They're like, oh, we're just going to launch our playbook. We're going to do the album playbook, the launch playbook, or they're going to do the event playbook launch. I'm like, no, that isn't the same. And I always try to say, your launch represents what they're going to see in the community going forward. So if launching an album is a little different, but like launching a product, if you bring influencers in and all these fancy ass people, they're going to be like, that's not for me. I want to feel like it's me, that like I belong there. If you bring 
Kim Kardashian to a product launch, you know, they're like, Ooh, yeah, this, you it's know, exciting for maybe one trip, but you're not going to want to go back. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I just try to help people understand the difference between a community launch and a event launch, product launch or an album launch, you know, it's different. It has a different flavor. Absolutely. At Disciple, we see a lot of brands coming to Disciple and they're kind of, mm-hmm. they want to talk to us. They want to speak to Nicolette and our community team and find mm-hmm. out how applicable their specific brand is to mm-hmm. create a community. And it's, we never say it, but there are certain products where, look, it's, you're, this is not a business for a community. And there are certain products where there's an amazing fit between what they do. Oops, sorry. That's okay. Between what they do and creating those linkages between people and having the potential to create a, a community. So when a brand comes to see you today, mm-hmm. what is the advice you give these brands? What should they do to try and figure out, do they have the potential to build a community? What's the first thing they should do if they make the decision? Yes, we've got customers with enough passion for what we do and enough connectivity with each other that something really great could happen. How, what, how should they start? Well, for me, I have this little joke on our podcast that, Anytime we say the word strategy, people should take a shot because they would just be hammered because there's not, we say strategy so often, it's almost, it's a joke because I can't even think about building a community unless I know what it is they're doing it for. And that's something that people never do. They're like, oh, we want to start a community. I'm not in the business of convincing them they need a community. They come to me when they are convinced because I, I don't, I just, that's not my jam. I'm the builder. I'm the strategist. I will build you an incredible community, but I'm not going to sit there and convince you it's the right way to go. So they usually come to me with an excitement around it and they're ready to figure out how to do it properly. They're not coming with the why. They're coming with the how. No, exactly. They're, they get the why. For the most part, they get the why, but I need to maybe craft their why. And not maybe, I always have to help them craft their why because their why is generally not (laughs) ending up. It almost is never what it actually is. And so that's where I start is, okay, that's great. Why are you doing this? Why do you want a community? I'm so glad you do. And you're right. And for me, I, I want to go back to your statement about, is it right for all brands? And like, I pretty much feel like community is right for all brands. I'm now pretty convinced, maybe in the 90s, upper 90% that community benefits any brand, all brands, all services, the maturity model, not so much, or the alignment or the resourcing and the budgeting and the timing may be off. But at some point, Connecting your customers together to talk with each other is a good thing, regardless of what they're doing. But as far as like taking the moment where they think, you know, say, okay, what what is it that you're trying to accomplish? Because at the end of the day, you might not lead with that. You are going to lead with your customers. But at the end of the day, if the business is not recognizing value at some point, it will not live on. You need it to live on. So you need to understand why you are doing it and then how you're ultimately going to craft your strategy to achieve that why. So I start there. And they often are like, well, I want people to be connected. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, that's all well and good. But like, why? Why, why, why? Yes. Why is the ROI? Why is like, we're having a churn problem. We are experiencing low product pickup. We need to expand our portfolio beyond one product to the other four or five products. These are the, this is what I'm listening for as to why. We need more experts because we were expanding so fast or our support is atrocious and we can't scale our CSM organization fast enough. Whatever. I want them to talk to me about truly thinking about it from that perspective first. Because then once we get aligned on that we can get really specific on all of the other downstream things. 
That's when I start thinking about budget. And that's when I think about who they should hire to run it, what type of person they need, what does the program, what do we start with? What type of programs do we start with? What platform do they pick that matches what they're trying to do? Because if they're starting with different kinds of things, it matches different kinds of platforms. You know that, like different platforms work for different people. Yeah, and so I do all of that first before we even talk about platform, before we even talk about hiring a person. And that's the ugly, dirty work that nobody wants to do. So many times I'll, I'm hoping this doesn't happen anymore, but I will arrive on the scene and they will have picked a platform. They will have hired a person and they have literally no idea what they're doing. And they're just like, go, I'm like, go, we got to back up. And probably you should hire that person, you know. And yeah, and by the way, that platform's wrong for you. I'm like, oh, now I'm stuck in having we, to like, build with I should, as the yeah. founder of a community software <laughs> platform, I sh- probably shouldn't be saying this, but at least 75% of the success of your community is going to be down to you as the host and the team you yes. bring around it and what you do as yes. the platform. I've seen no. amazing platforms. And no, I respect that. Yeah, I respect that you say that because it it makes you it real and it makes me want to use your platform more when you say that, quite honestly, because, you know, if anyone is a perfect example of that, it's me because I was forced to use a platform mm-hmm. and I'll say this publicly because I do all the time. It's not my favorite platform. I don't think it's the right community platform for just about anyone, but I did it because I had to. And I built a wildly successful community on it because like you said, it's so much to do with the programs and the relationships and the interconnectivity with the business and, you know, all of these other things you can muscle through without a few bells and whistles, you know, yeah, for yeah. a while. you got to put the people yeah. first and, and just think quickly. Yep. I mean, we, I'm part of a community here and it's a European community. It's founders mm-hmm. and investors in the tech world. Mm-hmm. And I joined at the beginning of lockdown. And when I joined, there's about 500 members in this community. It's very close knit mm-hmm. community. And they are, the community platform was one single feed you could just <laughs> post stuff into, but comment on that feed. And you could click on a member and send them a message in the feed, like a private message. And then it had a directory. <laughs> so it had a total of three pages. <laughs> and it was great. And then about a year ago, they moved. I'm not going to say where they moved, but they moved to a really mm-hmm. high-end platform. And their head of community reached out to me about a month ago saying their engagement had fallen 70%. Oh, yeah. Too complicated. Pick the wrong platform. You've dispersed 500 people across like all these different yeah. places. And every right. place feels like it's an empty room. Whereas yes, before, that good. one feed of like, wow, there's something that's, it felt super engaged and exciting. <laughs> it should have talked to you. I mean, above all the people, like in your community. Like, come on, dude. Oh my gosh, I want to punch that person. Such a shame. Well, uh, they did an uncomfortable migration and they're going to be doing another one. It another one. Like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you also say on your website, you help companies create authentic, engaged and empowered mm-hmm. communities. Can we just unpack mm-hmm. that sentence and look into what is authentic sure. what does engaged mean and what does empowered mean those are big words and you're, big words, you're good yeah. to yeah and i mean speaking of difficult we did an entire podcast on engagement on that word because that word is overused it's totally. underused it's all the things so yeah those words are a little bit big to throw into one sentence like that but the types of communities i want to build are very much led by the customer and so those i try i put that sentence up there because i want that to lead the type of community i 
want to build. You know, I'm not building a product first company or community. I'm building a community led company, uh, community. You know, I want it to be run, like I said about that, you're entering their home. So when I think about authentic, I think about them, the emphasis being on them. And it's not having to control the conversation. In fact, I don't want to build communities where you're trying to control the conversation. When I hear those words, which I do in discoveries where people are like, we want a place where we can focus the conversations. Either I don't want to do that or I need to try to explain the way that this works. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by authentic high level. Engaged for me is doing the right kind of engagement. I don't, you know, without going into the whole hour long podcast, and maybe I can give you that link and you can (laughs) add it to this too, if you want. yeah. Yeah, it's a really fascinating discussion because engagement for engagement sake me, it's nothing. So it's about doing that strategy work, everybody take another shot, but you know, it's like doing that work and figuring out what are the programs that are going to net the things that you want? What are the things that you want people to do? What are you trying to achieve at the end of the day? So what does that engagement look like? And why are you doing it again? Why are you choosing to to pick certain kinds of programs to get people to talk to each other? What's the output? But I want ultimately there not to be an environment where you were just saying of these empty rooms. I want it to be a place where people feel like they can trust each other, go and get value and go and come back and go and come back like a place where they continue thinking this is a standard place to go. And then uh, empowered is that I want, I really believe that the truest, best communities are, and you know this too, are integrated throughout the organization. It's not some standalone thing on the side, like go to our community and it's just like over. It's something that is like threaded throughout the entire business. So I, I really feel like there's a call to action to a community in every stage, pre post and on like and when it feels like it's just everywhere throughout your business a truly truly empowered community so every part of the business just understands what their role is in the community so that's why i picked those words what you just said there about community-led businesses over here at disciple that's mm-hmm. like the key word something i've noticed in the last couple of years changed profoundly in mm-hmm. the people who we seem to connect with is uh, we used to have businesses coming to us saying we want to become community-led and we look at a platform to do it. We now have communities coming to us saying we want to become a business. Hmm. It's a totally okay. different thing. It's people yeah. saying, I've created this amazing community. I've got <laughs> thousands of people part of my community on a Facebook group. I want to turn it into my work. Can you help <laughs> us turn this into a business? I like so it. The other way, they're looking at how can I create products or value that people are going to be willing to pay for out of this community, yep. which seems like something really different. It seems like a profound change that's beginning to occur. And these are small businesses with three, yeah. four people that, or it's generally, they're not a business. They're three, four people who have built a community and they realize they've created something really special. And maybe this could be their source of income for the rest of their lives. I love that. And I think that I'm seeing, I don't necessarily see as much. I feel like I get brought in. My favorite is these late stage startups that are really excited about differentiation and they're planning for the future and they're ready to invest in that. They come to me to build them, uh, you know, that next level, which I love that nimble, agile, they listen really hard, they act fast. It's really fun. But that's moving downstream already, you know, when they're ready to build this community with 
as their company is starting to scale really early versus like, I'm this giant company, I'm ready to no, do it. it. And it, you're it, talking it's about an like- enterprise thing. That's yeah, yeah. totally changed. And we've been- Totally changed. I'm amazed because I had loads of totally false presumptions before we started this disciple. One yeah. of which was scale matters. That you cannot build a oh, thing no. that's truly important unless you have a certain, you have to reach a certain number of people. Otherwise it's- no. We see no. communities with a hundred people where- Oh, so wildly successful. Three times a week. Oh yeah. Like completely there and obsessed. I'm sure you get asked that question all the time. I do too. Like, are we ready? Do we have enough customers? I'm like, that's not the type of question you're at. You're asking the wrong kind of question. Do they really love you? That's what matters. Yeah. That's what matters. Or or what are you trying to do with them? Are you, when you're talking about empowered also, the good word is like, do you want to listen to them? Do you want to build build your product with them? Do you want to, you know, do you want to include them in this process? That's amazing. Those 200, I mean, I get that all the time and executives are always nervous about that. They're like, oh my God, why is it so small? Why are there that's, only 200 like people? A, I'm that's, like, that's one of these sort of issues that I think comes from a, um, it's like a hangover of social media. Yeah. Everything's about volume yeah. of likes, yes. but not about. It's, it's different. Just, I always, yeah, it's like you, I have to paint the difference. Absolutely. I have to paint the difference between what you get. I love it. Now, Erica, I've already taken up an hour of your time. Tons <laughs> of questions I'd love to ask, but I've got one more question. I've experienced this recently. We think a lot about metrics at Disciple. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the signals of a community that's really starting to thrive? Being a software as a service business here in the SaaS world, it's there's metrics everywhere. Metrics, yeah. metrics, metrics. They're all validated, benchmarked. You you can position yourself in a million different ways through metrics. <laughs> When it comes to community, often when I compare metrics and benchmarks in community compared to in a SaaS business, they're much more like folklore when it comes to the community side. It's really hard (laughs) to judge. Is that really? How is that verified? Is that really that important? And so when you're looking at a community, what do you see as the fundamentals you like to watch to tell if it's thriving or or withering? This is almost exactly what we were just talking about is that these are the kinds of things I have to show executives that this means this down the line. Like, you know, the if something is simple as, and I'll I'll answer your question specifically, but then I'll start with with stories first, which is, you know, if you're soft launching a community, you're doing a beta and you've launched it and somebody asks their first question organically without you prompting, or somebody puts a feature request in there. And these are incredible things. They don't seem exciting, but it's so exciting because what that means is that person felt comfortable enough with the environment to put a feature that they like to drop a question in there about a feature. And now it's your responsibility to address it and do something with it and, you know, whatever that process may be. So even these like early day things, I celebrate the heck out of. And I explain how these small things will net huge value if you build on them. Like the first time somebody talks or answers someone else's question without you answering it, huge. You know, it's like (laughs) the littlest thing that an executive is like, that is so unexciting, but that is so exciting because that is somebody selflessly or motivated by something going in, taking time to answer that question. And you better learn fast why they did it. What is their motivation? And you better build programs around it fast (laughs) because you want more of that. If that's your goal, if your goal is self-service, I keep quoting these other things about this, but a woman that I'm working with at one of my clients called Trip Actions Her name is Phoebe. She's a brilliant community leader. She just did a presentation at CMX 
which is a community conference about this exactly. Like what are these, she did, I think five or six signals that signal success down the line. Cause she's a young growing company. She just launched it. So executives of course are like, why is this so small? Why is this? And we're like, no, no. Do you see these six things? These six things happen. And that is like huge for what it's going to be. Like she already got a customer to do a webinar with her on the value they're getting out of the community. That's huge. That it, she already is being able to tap into her advocates. So I think that there's like those kinds of things. And I'll, I'll happily give you a link to that. I think there's a recording on it too. It's brilliant. Yeah. Those are some qualitative things. But as far as quantitative things, I look at metrics in two separate ways, like a health and wellness set of metrics and then the business metrics. Mm -hmm. And for me, once I get aligned on what we're trying to do, all of those should ladder up eventually to one of those business metrics. And I track it that way. I do think that there are ways you can measure trends and trend out the engagements, but not just engagements, again, for engagement's sake, or not just number of posts for number of posts sake, but you're looking and tracking. Like if your goal of the community is to post questions and get them answered, you need to be focused on that metric. And that metric must be damn close to 24 hours. You're getting a response. So you stay laser focused on that. You need it to happen. And it's like a convoluted answer, but I just go back to like, what are you trying to do? Back in my early days, if questions answered was my reasoning for creating the Salesforce community, I better get questions answered and they better be good. There's nothing worse than going to a community and saying, oh, great, they've got a community. Yeah. I found, I'm going to ask you a question and then nobody yep. answers. That's like worse yep. than it at all. That's exactly right. And so I just stay laser focused on what it is I'm trying to do. And I want to, that to be, that has to be wildly successful. At least that just, that's why I always tell people to start small and start really deep or strong and get that right. And then you add on other things and other complexities later. And that is a huge success. If Q&A is important to you or best practice sharing, that better be amazing. If you need to fake it a little bit by adding SMEs in from your own company for a little while or at mentioning customers and doing some work behind the scenes and doing really unscalable things at first, do it. Do everything about that because that's going to set the foundation for the future. So that's a convoluted way to answer your question, but I always try to send this message of like, this is what health looks like now. And this is what it will map to in the future. And then the business metric, it will ladder up to. So that I don't have to deal with this constant, like, why are there not, why is there not more, 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 more? I'm like, oh my God, just like calm down. Like you got to get it right. And then you got to be unscalable to then scale if scale is your goal. Well, Erica, this has been both super, super informative and a lot of fun. So thank you so Bye. much for joining us. Yeah. You know, you're an inspiration to a lot of people in the community world. Aww, you've done. So we're super uh, proud to have had you on board. Thank you. And I hope you get ski within the next couple of weeks. Me too. It's been a lot of fun and I'm glad it was helpful. <laughs> thank you. That's it for this episode. To find out more about how Disciple can help you build your own dedicated community, visit disciplemedia.com. Want to join the Collector community? Head to the app or Google Play Store and download the app and join us today. I'm Nicolette, your host. See you next time.